from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Just be nice to people. Don't hurt people. That's what, to me, Christianity is all about. Monica Finney, the drama therapist, uh, just had such an important role in the film. We tiptoed forward and, and, and then, like I said, momentum is a magical thing. You just get oversensitized to other people and you, once you hear people's stories and you can understand them, then you can go on from there. I'm Sarah Fenske. A documentary now streaming on Netflix was filmed almost entirely in Missouri. It has its roots in the abuse six men suffered at the hands of Roman Catholic priests who once served in Missouri parishes. The film is called Procession. Director Robert Green is an associate professor at the University of Missouri and also filmmaker-in-chief at Mizzou's Murray Center for Documentary Journalism. He made the film in conjunction with the six abuse survivors. As one man explains, before working on the film, he'd been unable to open up about what he suffered. I'm a, I'm a New York City contractor. I can chew the balls of a, a union electrician and get my money back, but I can't talk about what happened to me when I'm 13 without choking up and, and you know. And that is abuse survivor Ed Gavigan. Guided by Green, Gavigan, and the five other men each developed a scene in the film as a sort of therapy. The men also played roles in each other's scenes. In one scene, survivor Tom Viviano plays the priest. I'm sure glad that long mass is over. Come here, young man. Could you have a drink with me? Sure. It's your turn to disrobe. Go ahead. And that is from the documentary Procession in a scene developed by survivor Michael Sandridge. Michael lives in Kansas City, and he works as an interior designer, and he joins us today. Michael Sandridge, welcome. Hello. And we're also joined today by Procession Director Robert Green. Robert, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Robert, this film has such an unusual concept for a documentary. What's the idea in having these six men develop scenes that deal with their own priestly abuse? Well, actually, I've, you know, this is a development of work that I've been doing um, in my own filmmaking practice for a while. I've, this is my seventh feature documentary. And what, I, what happened was that I sort of uh, stumbled along drama therapy as a concept, um, sort of out of necessity, almost like a, uh, with, with the last, I, I feel like almost when you make a new movie, it's almost correcting the problems from the past movies in some <laughs> ways. And Monica Finney, the drama therapist, uh, just had such an important role in the film. And really, it was combining the idea of drama therapy, which is staging things and doing theatrical work to get at your own trauma, with filmmaking techniques, which is about staging things to get at deeper truths. And those sort of combined into one idea. And when we saw the press conference that had Michael and Tom and Mike in it, 
we, we just kind of knew that maybe this could work. And, and we reached out to Rebecca Randalls, who's the lawyer that's represented many of these guys. And she's worked in this, you know, on the Catholic abuse scandal for such a long time. And, and it was really with her that we developed the, the, the idea and we met the guys and we, we got started. So, Michael, what was it like um, to hear from your lawyer that that you'd been approached by this documentary filmmaker who wanted to do this this kind of unusual film, wanted you to be a part of this? What was your reaction to that? Um, she contacted me around April 1st, so I burst out laughing. She has a very odd sense of humor. I thought it was a joke. <laughs> so An April Fool's Day prank from yeah, your exactly. lawyer. Wow. <laughs> exactly. And... Because my first thoughts were, is anybody serious about this? Who, who would want to even see it? It's such a depressing subject. And mm -hmm. then she convinced me that she'd done all the research on Robert. And um, she said, please, please come and listen to him. And I did. So that's how it started. And so you and these other five men, I understand you were all represented by Rebecca. But did you know each other um, prior to embarking on this project together? No, we did not know each other. And so was Which, that hard? Uh, I mean, you're, you're coming in with such a, an intimate story and, and, and such deep hurt in, that you've each handled in different ways. Was that hard to trust each other? It was, but we have a huge trust in Rebecca. And um, so since we all had her in common and she trusted us, it's kind of like that kind of thing. We were leery, but once we got together, we began slowly trusting each other. And then when everything came about and the situations were so similar, then it built upon that. So Robert, you brought everybody together. Um, did this begin with, with talking about the film right away or was there almost a therapeutic process first? No, yeah, I mean, you see in the film the, the first time we were all together in one room. And that, and that was, I mean, we, we, we sort of had one meeting off camera that was sort of just a, a vague kind of like, what are you guys thinking? This is what we're thinking kind of thing. And then we, we dove right in with the cameras. And, and you see in that first meeting, I mean, one of the things we didn't understand even, we assumed Rebecca knows everybody, so they must know each other. And it just really does speak to the way the system, the Catholic Church, the legal system, even when it's doing good, the, the, the silence and shame that's created uh, for these guys. Like they're separated, they're kept apart. And just the power that day, everyone was nervous being in that room together and you could feel like a psychic energy. And, and the, that, just, but, but then immediately you see Ed in the, and, and related to one of the clips that you just played, he says, you know, I've never been in a room with this many other survivors. And that just started a ball rolling that just the momentum was very real and it just kept, it kept going. Um, it was it, that, that, that feeling of, uh, of, you know, can we do this? I mean, the, the, the first, that first meeting was just as much about maybe we shouldn't do this as maybe we should. Because at, by that point, even a couple of months in, the guys were getting excited and we were nervous. We were probably as nervous as anybody else was about whether we should even attempt this. And so that first meeting you see, you hear a lot of discussion about, you know, 
hey, maybe this isn't the right thing to do. And then we tiptoed forward. And, and, and then, like I said, momentum is a magical thing. And we, re we really did build momentum. And it was Michael. I mean, Michael, you see in the beginning, Michael was a leader of this. Uh, he, was, he was the one who just like darted in with, with his thoughts and his feelings and ended up being, you know, the backbone to everything. Michael, what made you ready to do that in the way some of the other men maybe had more of a struggle to get to that place? As he said, you kind of darted in. You were, you were ready to go? Well, um, I was fortunate enough that my family and friends believed me. These other men didn't have that kind of support. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be able to help them support and get the message out that they should be believed and they're telling the truth. So that's basically what happened. And it was just, it's difficult and you just get oversensitized to other people. And you, once you hear people's stories and you can understand them, then you can go on from there. And that's what happened. And it slowly evolved. And then we started talking to each other and talking to each other about each other's scenes and then back and forth. And it began to be a friendship that I'd never had, especially with other males that had been in this situation. And so this wasn't just a matter then of talking about these scenes. It was also a matter of putting on costumes and acting in each other's scenes and sometimes playing the bad guy. Um, I'm going to play another clip from this film. In this clip, survivor Tom Viviano talks about playing the role of a priest and how it was really challenging for him but also rewarding. I have not been able to tell my story because mine is still in trouble. It's before the courts. And so I can't do mine. But I am able to act for the other guys. And I feel very honored and privileged to be able to do this. This has not been easy to put this on, to sit in a room like this. But it is a way that I can contribute. And that is Tom Viviano, uh, featured in the documentary Procession. That's now streaming on Netflix. Michael, you also played a priest in um, at least one, I think, two of these segments. Was was doing that, was that therapeutic in its own way, in addition to the therapy of, of developing your own scene? Um, it just helped me to be able, actually, it's like it, we were on like a stage. And I think that's that kind of idea helped a lot. And when, like in my scenes, I just wanted to emphasize the powers of the priest. And from the moment you're baptized onward, you're under that influence. And when I dressed as a priest, I could almost understand how easy it was to have that kind of power and influence and just abuse it. So it helped me in a way to understand how easy it was. Not that I make an excuse for it, mm -hmm. but that's... That's what it helped me with. And do you think acting in that scene, playing that role of a priest, did that have a long-term impact on, on your understanding of what happened to you? Um, not really, because it was just acting. And I could remove myself from my actual situation and, and just be an actor for someone else. That's what I basically did. I kind of blanked out the bad. Parts. <laughs> so. and, and Robert, different men had different reactions to different parts of this process. Is that something that you anticipated going in? Well, I want to say something about the Michael playing the role first. I, it's it's what's so important to understand is Michael was giving Ed the the someone that Ed could have power over. 
that is because Ed, you know, Michael is playing the role of the priest in Ed's scene. And so Ed couldn't, Ed, would, Ed and Michael were friends by that point and, and were close and had all these shared experiences and had gone through so much together by, by the time we filmed those scenes that it was, Michael took on an extraordinary amount of, of um, energy and then could give that energy to Ed. That's what you're seeing in the film. And yeah, every, different people had different reactions. And that that's what one of the most powerful things you see in the film is that we have six very, very different men who are going through different parts of the process. And we all recognize that immediately. So, you know, the 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 film is meant to help these guys, obviously. And Michael, I you know, Michael and I have talked about it because Michael I, I don't want to speak for you, Michael, but I, I, I know that you've often sort of talked about like, look, I'm, I process things differently. I don't, I'm going to go through it a different process. And so Michael and I became like teammates in, in helping other people do their thing. And we knew eventually, you know, really what Michael's get, getting to see is how much of a leader he really is in this whole group. But Dan's different. Um, Joe, the way Joe, Joe processes everything right on the surface. Ed was going through a legal battle with his abuser in Wyoming that, that you see t take place throughout the film. So he really needed all of us for support. He still does. Like I said, Dan needed to go through it the way he did. Mike, you know, is angry throughout the film. And then what we did, I think, was turn Mike's anger from something that was counterproductive into something that was very productive. And, and that's what, one of the things I'm most proud of is, is being able to, you know, we, we've premiered the film at the Telluride Film Festival and all the guys were there and we're all in this room and Mike's scene plays and he's screaming, he's yelling, he's letting out all this fury and it was cheered as if it was like a sporting match or something. Like he was a boxer that just knocked somebody out. And just seeing, seeing Mike be able to turn that anger into something, like I said, productive was, was astounding, truly. He escaped the anger, Robert. He didn't turn it. He escaped the anger after all those years. That's the way I look at it. He got out of the yeah. trap that he built himself. And so he well, was able yeah. to then flee from it? Is that the idea, Michael? No, he was able to deal with it in a different way. I think, I think you agree with that, Robert. He, you totally. build up walls around yourself in isolation, and so it's hard to break through those walls. And when we said we believe him and we understand what you're going through, it helps starting him to break down the walls. And he was always so angry that at times it was overwhelming for me because I don't process anger easily. But he had to do it to get through and he got through the wall. That's how I see it, Robert. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Welcome back. We're talking about the film Procession. It's a documentary now streaming on Netflix. Um, in this film, using techniques of drama therapy, six Midwestern men explore the abuse they suffered at the hands of Catholic priests. And for many of them, they find healing through this process. We're here today with the director. That's Robert Green. He's also a University of Missouri uh, professor um, and the filmmaker-in-chief at the Murray Center for Documentary Journalism. And we're also joined by Michael Sandridge, who's one of the survivors 
drivers featured in the film. Now, this film, in addition to getting a huge reaction at Telluride, it got a rave in The New Yorker. And one of the things that The New Yorker delved into in its review, this is a quote. It says, Procession offers some of the most extraordinary location scouting ever done on camera. Robert, can you explain what made location scouting such a big part of the on-screen drama? Well, when we first started, Rebecca said, hey, I got this guy, Dan, and he is a survivor as well. And he is sort of, uh, he's location scout, but he's he does so much more in, in productions in Kansas City. And initially, the idea was, oh, well, maybe he, we certainly want to work with him. That sounds great. And then it became like as soon as as soon as we started talking, it was clear to me that that even just the metaphor of looking for something, the the act of scouting, which really involves Dan being very personable, very charming, very nice. And he goes up to people and he says, hey, you know, this is what we're looking for. Just seeing that process was initially just like that. That was going to be exciting. We, we never anticipated getting into the Catholic churches in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. We never we never scripted or came up with the idea of going back to places of abuse. That actually, the one of the central ideas of the film, and this really speaks to the collaborative aspect of the whole thing, one of the central ideas comes from Ed and comes from Dan and Michael, who went to Cheyenne, Wyoming, where, where one of the priests was moved from Kansas City to Cheyenne, and went back to this cathedral that you see Ed go back to for the first time in 35 years. And Michael and Dan are there. And then from that point forward, other guys, Joe, Dan, Michael, Mike, well, Michael and Michael couldn't go back to the original location, but he went scouting in the churches. That idea of going back to these places and reclaiming these these spots was central. And that's not, that's something we would have never, we would have never even had the courage to pitch that idea. It had to come from the guys. And when they, they, you know, Ed, Ed came up with the idea, the other guys took the ball and ran with it. And Dan and really Michael are central to that process. Michael, seeing Ed um, as he's in Wyoming and he's ringing the bell um, in in the uh, cathedral there, it almost seemed to have a, a physical impact on him, almost a release in the act of that bell ringing. What was that like to witness? That was one of my favorite scenes, actually. And you can see the smile. It's, he turned into a child again. Mm-hmm. And it was like he was conquering. And he, you know, what you didn't see is those are very small guys doing it. So they pull all the way down and then the bell um, rope goes all the way up. So you can see the footprints towards the wall top where they bounced off of it before. Mm. And Ed was looking at that too and thinking of his footprints when it was such a happy thing to do. And, you know, and that's the moment you realize that all that joy was taken from him. And from that point on, he didn't have that childhood anymore. And Michael, for you, you went back to a parish in Kansas City. Um, what was that like to be in that place for you? Um, it was very um, calming after a while. And like Robert said, you know, you're powerless as a child. And those situations and those um, sites and interiors just all set you up to be powerless. But once you walk in and you can claim them back and say, you know, that the power is not over me anymore, that's that's what happened to me. Just sit there and think about it. All the bad, it just kind of washed away from me. 
Robert, that sounds like you got to witness a series of really powerful moments there. And as you said, because of this process that the men led of going and doing this location scouting, do you have a new appreciation for for these physical spaces and the role they play in this type of therapy technique? May I say one thing real quickly, though? Sure. Please, Michael, yeah. Um, Robert earned our trust, and if he had not done that, and he told us during the three years, we can just drop this at any time. And that was, I think, a main backbone of knowing that someone actually believed and was helping you. And it was very hard for an abused person to trust anybody. And we all ended up trusting him. And he acts like he didn't direct that much. He really did. He was behind the scenes helping everyone. And I think he got a lot out of it too, just seeing his idea actually work for people. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you saying that, Michael. I, 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 it was a miracle. I mean, you know, I, I, I believe in the power of spaces. I believe in the power of art to help um, the cathartic power of art, the therapeutic power of art. I really believe in the idea that coming together and creating something just has effects beyond beyond, you know, it's like the, you know, the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts kind of idea, right? Like making something. But then when we, when we walked into those churches, it just felt like, it felt like we were almost like vandals on some level. It, it felt like we were like um, revolutionaries in some weird way. Like we were breaking through, but then it was also just so beautiful. And Michael, who knows everything about the church, it, you know, what was taken from Michael was 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 so severe because Michael, I, I think it's not too crazy to say there's aspects of those spaces that you still love. You don't and just being in those spaces, I had just fun listening to you and just watching us be able to like turn know that we could turn that into something. It, we weren't gonna sit there and just feel bad. We weren't gonna sit there and think about what had happened. We were gonna think about the future. We were gonna think about we're making something that will be seen in the future by people and that could be helpful to them. And just just having the you know, transformation, like just having that ability and that moment to transform something um, from one thing to the other. It's important that I wasn't raised Catholic because I had none of the power. N- not, it had no effect on me. So I could just witness Michael go th- from, you know, Michael talks about when Ed rings the bell, he's a kid again. The truth is, is every single time we stepped into a Catholic church, all these guys were kids again. And then watching them literally try to get out from the, th- the under the thumb of that power was was amazing. Michael, I want to talk just briefly about your case. I understand your abuser died one year ago, and you found out only after that that he'd quietly been removed from the priesthood. How did you learn that? Um, I have a good friend, Kathleen, who works for the diocese, and she um, called me and informed me of that because she she knew how much it meant to me mm-hmm. that he was laicized. But um, so that's how that happened. And, and did that feel to you like like that gave you some closure or made you feel better about this this terrible situation? It made me feel a lot better because it, it just validated that I was telling the truth and so were all the other people that accused him, all the other guys. And, you know, the quietly thing really disturbed me. However, 
the bishop said he did write the family and tell them the reason that he was laicized. So that made me feel good also. So he b basically confessed or, or at least acknowledged in a way that there were these accusations, this is why I was pushed out of the priesthood. He did not. The, um, the Vatican Council pushed him out. So he's never admitted the guilt the whole time. So this is something that the church hierarchy wrote this letter that, that you're exactly. Oh, okay. Yes. And so that felt good to you. Yes. So Michael, one of the things that, that really struck me in this film, there's a part where we, we see you talking about your parents and you say, I don't want them to lose their faith. That was still important to you, even after everything you went through and, and everything you experienced with the church. Yes, it is, because I, I have the belief that, you know, we're taught from <laughs> grade school that the Catholic Church is perfect. It's the people inside the church that are not. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, my parents were older, are older. And I, be, I believe in God. I believe in, you know, in Christ. And there has to be something better. And if you just follow the basic tenets of just be nice to people, don't hurt people, that's what to me, Christianity, it's all about. And the Catholic Church has really gotten away from just the basic theory of it. But you've been able to keep that this, this whole time. Um, yes, because if I didn't, I'd probably go crazy. I have to believe there's a better life. <laughs> I'm that vain. I ha there has to be something after this. <laughs> yeah. Robert, hearing Michael's perspective on this, it seems like he's, he's somewhat unique among the six men in this film and being able to still feel that way, to, to have that belief that understanding the church is fallible, but, but that he can still believe in God. You know, I think Joe is a man of faith. I think Dan is a man of faith. I think Ed's relationship with, with faith is very interesting. Tom is still a believer, still talks about his relationship with God. Mm -hmm. uh, Mike absolutely uh, does not believe the Catholic Church has anything to do with faith in God. And uh, Yeah, and, I guess and, I'm, I'm realizing yeah. as, as you yeah. list these other men, I think Mike's anger made such a powerful impression in this film. True. But, but yeah. from what you're saying, he's almost unique in being the one who, well, who turned so totally but I think he I think you have to understand that where, where his perspective is is this organization has no um, sort of relationship with God for him nothing mm -hmm. and he and that's what he's most offended by is is those rituals and symbols of power that Michael you know dissects in his scenes you know Mike is just calling BS on all of it I mean he's basically saying this is the system that that says that I am not credible. I am, and they're saying I'm not credible for abuse that happened to me that ruined my life. And now the same system, they can dress up in these gowns and, and all this stuff and walk down the aisle and they're covering up my abuse. And so for him, there's just no connection. It doesn't mean he's not a spiritual person. I mean, the thing I, I would say that I'm, one of the things I'm most proud of is I think in a way the film is about restoring the idea of belief. And maybe it's not religious belief, but it is belief in each other. Um, what you really see with these guys is is the belief in something stronger. You see that we we have faith in each other. We have faith in the idea of doing this. Um, we we are courageous together um, in doing this. And so, I, I don't think that comes from a bunch of cynical people. I don't think that you know. I don't think that comes from six guys who are broken in such a way that they they can't see that the future holds something for them. Mm. And 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 they also importantly, you know, Michael, I think it's okay to say this. I I you know, the film is dedicated to the other boys and what that means is all the guys who this happened to them and they don't have the lives that these six men do. They are 
in jail, they are on drugs, they may be dead, and there may be from, you know, by, from suicide or other ways, and family members have, have been picking up the pieces. In some ways, these six guys are the lucky ones because we, we all can go through this together. Um, and and I, I, I think that's what you see. I, I, you hear Joe say it in the film, it's worth it because other people need to see this. Well, this film is, is um, it's such a powerful film to watch. I want to encourage people to check out Procession. It's now streaming on Netflix. And Robert, this film has had such an amazing reaction, rave reviews, um, just tons of people watching this and talking about this. Are you pleasantly surprised to see a documentary with such a serious topic be able to find um, that measure of, of um, appeal to the public? I think the film what we don't do is just you know sort of bury the audience's face in the in the trauma it's it's not about that darkness it's about we we talked about this often throughout the making of the film this is this film is not about the past it's about the future it's about doing something and if if this means that you know another boy or another kid who was abused can step forward and find some strength in these guys I think the one of the sad reasons why it's appealing is because their child sexual abuse is rampant. Mm -hmm. There are so many people who relate to this, whether it was in the in the Catholic Church or not. There are so many people who were abused as children in this way. And what we do is we have these incredible six guys and they lead this process. And they are the most likable group of people I've ever been around. And they are, and they, you know, they laugh through the process. They, they, they find love and 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 real support with each other. I, it's not about the darkness. It's about it's about the light, really, and it's about the future, not the past. Well, Robert Green, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Robert is the director of Procession, and he's a University of Missouri associate professor in documentary journalism. And Michael Sandridge, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate it being here. And Michael is a Kansas City-based interior designer and survivor featured in the film Procession. And that, again, is now streaming on Netflix. This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.